Hello, and welcome to the Dr. Jocker's Functional Nutrition Podcast, the show designed to give you science-based solutions to improve your health and life. I'm Dr. David Jockers, doctor of natural medicine, chiropractor, and functional nutrition practitioner, and I'm the host of this podcast. I'm here to tell you that your body was created to heal itself, and on this show, we focus on strategies you can apply today to heal and function at your best. I'm excited about today's podcast, but before we jump in, I wanted to remind you to download this month's special gift at drjockersgift.com. From keto meal plans, smoothie recipes, to fasting quick start guides, we have a new complimentary gift every single month. To get your gift, simply visit drjockersgift.com. That's D-R-J-O-C-K-E-R-S-G-I-F-T.com. Thanks for spending time with me, and let's go into the show. I'm excited to announce that we just launched my new book, The Fasting Transformation, a functional guide to burn fat, heal your body, and transform your life with intermittent and extended fasting. If you've been listening to this podcast for any period of time, you know that I'm a huge advocate of fasting. And in this book, I take you on a journey to help you understand how fasting helps balance your blood sugar and improve your insulin sensitivity, how it shuts down inflammation in the body, how it optimizes your hormones, turns on fat burning, and activates stem cells for deep cellular healing. Guys, I go through how fasting, I go through all the best science and research on intermittent and extended fasting and how to utilize it to help prevent or even heal from cancer, autoimmune conditions, digestive disorders, and neurodegenerative conditions like Alzheimer's and Parkinson's. Guys, the book goes over all the various research and practical applications for daily intermittent fasting, partial fasting, and extended fasting. This book is designed to help inspire and empower you to embrace a fasting lifestyle while also enjoying tasty and healthy foods at the right time to improve your metabolic flexibility and energy efficiency so you can burn fat for fuel and have all-day energy. You are going to love this book, so check it out. You can get it on Amazon.com. We also have a website, drjockers.net forward slash fasting transformation. That's drjockers.net forward slash fasting transformation. You can learn more about it. And of course, you can pick the book up on Amazon. You're going to love it. Thanks so much, guys. This podcast is an audio recording of one of my most popular YouTube videos on how to use fasting strategies to reduce inflammation and autoimmunity. I go deep in this podcast. You guys are going to learn some in-depth science. You're going to learn about how fasting really supports the microbiome, helps create greater diversity, helps heal your gut, turn down inflammation, and actually helps rebuild new immune cells. You guys are going to love this podcast. And if you know anybody that's dealing with inflammation, autoimmunity, send them this podcast. This is life-saving information. And if you haven't subscribed to our channel, please do that now so you never miss one of these valuable podcasts. And I would be so honored if you took a moment and left us a five-star review on Apple iTunes. Just simply scroll down to the bottom of your Apple iTunes podcast player under my show, and you'll see where it says, you know, leave a review. Go ahead and leave one there. And I would be just really honored if you did that. Thanks so much for being a part of our community. 
and let's go into the show. Well, hello there, everybody. This is Dr. Jockers, and today I'm talking about the fasting transformation and how you can use fasting to help reduce inflammation and autoimmunity. And so fasting, I consider the most ancient, inexpensive, and powerful healing strategy known to mankind because of its incredible ability to downregulate inflammation in the body, to turn on genetic switches for the body to heal and repair itself. You know, the body doesn't need any help healing, just needs no interference. The body knows how to heal. We just have to remove the interference and fasting is really the way to do that. It's incredible what can happen and there's so much research coming out on this topic. So I'm really excited about this presentation. So most of us have heard about inflammation and inflammation is an immune response in our body. See, mo more people throughout the history of mankind have died from some sort of chronic systemic infection than anything else throughout the history of mankind. So that means an infection that got into the bloodstream, spread throughout the body, and went into you know, a major organ system like the heart or the lungs and gave them pneumonia or got into the nervous system and caused meningitis and they died quickly. And so to prevent against a bacterial infection from killing us quickly, our bodies have adapted over the years and they've created this process called inflammation. And so when you get a cut, when you sprain your ankle, you, you know, your joint gets inflamed, your body associates any sort of tissue injury, like any sort of trauma or tissue injury with, um, almost like an abrasion where the bloodstream is affected and now bacteria can pile into the bloodstream. And so it creates uh, a whole bunch of inflammation, which is an immune response, all these immune cells that aggregate to that region to help prevent against the bacteria from getting in and taking over our body and literally eating our body. So inflammation pr protects against that. It's also part of the healing process. It helps break down damaged tissue, so then our body can, you know, that's moved out of the way. So now the body can go in and rebuild new, healthier tissue. So it's all part of the process. The problem is in our society today, we have chronic systemic infection, or I'm sorry, chronic systemic inflammation, and that's the issue. So now we're, we, what we've got to do is dampen the inflammatory response. And we know that inflammation is at the root of practically every chronic health condition in our society affects all the major organ systems, and depending on your genetics, when you get inflamed, it's going to affect one area more than another. For me, uh, the areas that that really get affected are par particularly my gut. I, I used to have uh, irritable bowel syndrome in my early 20s. That was part of my health story and overcoming that. Uh, but my gut gets inflamed. My skin, my mom actually has psoriasis. If I am not taking good care of my body, my skin gets inflamed. And I can actually start to develop psoriasis patches. And then also my joints, I end up with pain, pain in my neck, pain in, in different joints in my body, my knees. So those are major regions that I feel. Other people feel a tremendous amount of fatigue. So that may be thyroid related or adrenal related. Um, other people will experience, yeah, definitely thyroid issues or um, they develop fatty liver, you know, different issues like that. So inflammation, again, affects us in different ways. But all of us are subject to inflammation, and we've got to keep that under control. Now, an autoimmune condition is actually when we create antibodies. And so that's a specific type of inflammatory condition where we create antibodies, which are part of what we call our humoral immune system, which is in the blood. 
right? And so it's a blood-based immune system as opposed to our cell-mediated immunity, okay? So we've got the cell-mediated and we've got the blood or humoral-mediated immunity. And so the autoimmune disease is related to the blood-based uh, immune response and our body will create specific antibodies. And unfortunately it can also create antibodies, not only to bacteria or infections that we may have experienced, but also to self our own tissues. Like with Hashimoto's, it's autoimmune disease to thyroid tissue. We know that there's over a hundred different types of autoimmune disorders and they can affect all different, you know, all major regions of the body, the thyroid, the skin, you've got things like psoriasis, eczema, right? Different things like that. The gut where you have celiac disease and ulcerative colitis. So they can affect all these major regions. Now, what's also important to know is that our immune system, the key with our immune system is to keep it balanced. We use, we hear this term a lot in our society about boosting our immune system. We want to boost our immune system so we don't get a cold or a flu, but it's actually not the best uh, use of words. Instead, what we want is to balance our immune system. So when our immune system is overactive and there's some sort of like an internal threat, we will create these antibodies and create an autoimmune reaction. Otherwise, we create a chronic inflammatory reaction like allergies, right? Or, uh, you know, something along those lines, asthma, something like that, sinusitis, um, which aren't considered autoimmune, but they are chronic inflammatory conditions. If our immune system is not reacting well, if it's not strong, we're more subject to fevers, flus, different things like that, um, you know, to, to consistently just feeling under the weather and having viral infections or like an Epstein-Barr virus that just keeps us super fatigued because our body can't get rid of it. Uh, also cancer, right? So that's another major, you know, immunosuppressive condition long-term would be something like cancer, um, different viruses. So basically we need our immune system to have optimal effectiveness. Now, the key here is keeping our gut lining healthy. So our gut lining is only one cell wall and it protects, you know, the gut in a sense is like a long tube inside of our system where it's moist, there's bacteria in there. There's a lot of life in that tube, but it separates the external environment from our bloodstream, just kind of like our skin separates the external environment from our bloodstream. Now the skin has many layers, whereas the gut only has one layer. And the reason why the gut only has one layer of cells that are held together by uh, these, what, what's called tight junctions, which are almost like, I think about it like, uh, like a pitcher's glove that's held in by you know the knitting. And so the reason why it's only one cell is because throughout the history of mankind, food has not been prevalent. And so when we did get food, we needed to make sure that we were able to get the nutrients into the bloodstream so we could survive, get the nutrients that we need. So oftentimes, you know, they would have, you know, our ancestors would have a great kill or a great harvest. They would eat well, but then they would also have a lot of times a scarcity where they didn't have food to eat. And so they needed to be really good at absorbing the nutrients that they did consume. Our society today, we have plenty of food, so it's not really an issue there. In fact, we actually need to reduce the amount of times that we're eating throughout the day. And that's why fasting is so powerful. Now, with our immune system, or I'm sorry, with our, with our gut, basically our gut, we need it to be as healthy as possible. 
and we need to be able to absorb nutrients as well as possible. To do that, we need really good stomach acid production to sterilize the food, kill off bacteria, break down protein and amino acids, uh, protein into amino acids and absorb minerals like vitamin B12, zinc, iron, things like that. And then the acidic bolus, a bolus is a term for the, the partially digested food from the stomach. As it enters into the small intestine, it hits certain receptors and then bile is produced. Bile comes out, it alkalizes the environment. Bile is very alkaline. It also emulsifies fats and it's also uh, it also sterilizes. There are some bacteria that can survive acid, but they don't do well in an alkaline environment. So the Again, the bile comes out, helps to alkalize along with bicarbonate from the uh, pancreas and then pancreatic enzymes come in and they're able to break down the food even further and allow us to absorb nutrients more. And then we've got bacteria in our gut that break down uh, all the different nutrients and make them to where they are more absorbable for the body. And we know that good bacteria, good species of bacteria and good bacterial balance, when we have that, those bacteria actually break down toxins and they produce nutrients. So they eat toxins, they produce nutrients. When we have bad bacteria or a state of dysbiosis, where we have pathogens in our gut, maybe parasites, um, high amounts of yeast or bacteria that are have grown out of control, they, they've grown past what they should be, uh, they can actually eat nutrients and then they secrete toxins. They create, they create what we call endotoxins that cause more inflammation in the body. One of those endotoxins is called LPS, lipopolysaccharides. Lipopolysaccharides drives up inflammation in the body, especially when it's in the bloodstream. And so when we have more inflammation, right, in our gut, for example, when we've got bad bacteria, bad microbial species, and we're not digesting food well, we end up tearing the gut lining. Or we also, if we have a lot of mechanical stress, we're just eating all the time, we're going to break down that mechanical lining. There are other things too, certain drugs like NSAIDs, like aspirin and ibuprofen and different things like that. Or if we're taking, uh, for example, a acid blocker, right? We're not getting enough stomach acid. All these things are going to, going to play a role. If we have different infections, they're going to drive up inflammation in our gut. That's going to break the tight junctions and it's going to allow food particles and inflammatory uh, immune cells to enter into the bloodstream. When those food particles and bacteria and yeast, and when the bacteria and the yeast and the food particles all enter into the bloodstream, and they're not, you know, the food particles, of course, are not digested, these are foreign proteins. And now the body reacts. Again, it's afraid that the bacteria are going to grow out of control and they're going to kill us quickly. And it's not sure about these undigested proteins. So it labels them a threat. And now it drives up inflammation throughout the body. So it's like turning an alarm on throughout the body. We get more and more inflammation that affects all our major body systems. So when it comes to inflammation, autoimmunity, we really need to focus on the gut and we need good, healthy bacterial balance. And when we have that, we end up with proper immune response. We get the TH, the regulatory T cells. We get proper amounts of what's called serum IgA, which is in our gut, which is our immune component of our gut, helps keep the gut bacteria and the yeast and all the different species of microbes in our gut under control. We get T helper cells and T regulatory cells, which help to make the immune system more efficient. So it's able to uh, attack pathogens and get rid of bad stuff 
without attacking our own tissue. And that's very, very important. And this is why it's so critical here. So how does fasting impact the immune system? How can it help reduce autoimmunity and chronic inflammation in the body? Well, couple major mechanisms. One is this mechanism of autophagy, which I'm going to go into, which means self-eating. And so it's really powerful and fasting stimulates this. It also downregulates inflammation throughout the body. It improves the diversity of the microbiome and helps stimulate key, what we call keystone species of bacteria. It actually helps improve those. And then it regenerates our immune cells. Many of us are walking around with what's called uh, senescent immune cells, these old damaged immune cells that just aren't functioning very well. And because they're not functioning well, they're attacking our own tissue. They're creating more inflammation in the system. Fasting helps downregulate those. So the first, let's look at autophagy. And autophagy, actually, Japanese researcher in 2016 won the Nobel Prize for uh, really uh, a lot of foundational work on autophagy. Now, this has been studied for a while now, but we're learning more and more about this every single day. And it's basically this self- eating mechanism of the body's cells, where they start to break down intracellular components within the cell. And they do that. So the body, you know, all the cells need fuel. Okay. So our body naturally will break down older damaged cells when we don't have food, right? Fasting, we don't have food. We don't have the proteins that we need. So now the body's actually going to go in and the, the body's own innate intelligence knows how to do this. So it goes in and it starts to break down older damaged cellular uh, components, mitochondria, Golgi apparatus, right? All those things that we learned in biology class that are inside the cell it starts to break those down and then takes the raw materials and uses it to create new mitochondria, right? Creates new cellular components. So it regenerates the cell. And that's really what it's about. It's about recycling and regenerating. And this is the power of the body. The body knows how to heal. And autophagy is how it does this. Very powerful process. When we're eating all the time, we lose autophagy. In fact, you know, Alzheimer's disease, which has also been labeled type 3 diabetes, where it's an, a, a state of insulin resistance, where uh, you know, basically the body's so metabolically damaged that it's not able to get fuel into the brain cells. And so the brain cells start to die. It's also marked by a loss of autophagy in the brain. So the brain needs to recycle these components in order to have good metabolic function. And if it doesn't, you start to lose these neurons, lose these cells. So it's very, very important for really every health condition. And when we're feeding, we are not getting enough autophagy if we're constantly eating. But when we fast, we get the autophagy. And, and before I'm done with this presentation, I'm going to go over feast, famine, cycling, because we also need to eat. We don't want to drive up too much autophagy in our body. We don't want to undereat for long periods of time. That's not good either. That, dry, that can also stimulate disease development too. So we, we need to eat, but, but it needs to be cycled with periods of time-restricted feeding or fasting. Now, Fasting increases ketone production. We know that ketones are an alternative fuel source to sugar. Most people are burning primarily glucose, but we can also burn body fat and we can produce ketone. We can burn ketones. Ketones are produced in the liver. And the reason why the body creates these ketones, it does it from fatty acids, is that although most cells can use fatty acids for energy, they are slower burning fuel. So it takes longer to burn them for fuel and they don't cross the blood brain barrier. 
So if we're in a period of fasting or if we don't have fuel around, okay, we need some sort of energy source for the brain. So the liver creates these ketones, which are smaller molecules. They cross the blood-brain barrier, and they are an amazing fuel source for the brain. They're also what we call epigenetic influencers, meaning that they influence our genetic uh, expression. And so they actually turn off inflammatory uh, inflammatory gene pathways, inflammatory pathways in the brain. They downregulate them. There's something called the NLRP3 neuroinflammasome, which is a group of receptors that turn on and amplify inflammation in the body, in particular the brain. And ketones have been shown to reduce that, downregulate that, basically turn it off. So inflammation in the brain is a huge issue when we talk about brain degeneration, Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, dementia, ketones, again, turn off that inflammation, which allows now the brain cells to heal and regenerate. They also turn on the production of new healthy mitochondria. In order to burn fat for fuel, in order to really produce good amount of energy, we need healthy mitochondria. So we definitely need those in the brain. We need them throughout the body. So the presence of ketones in our bloodstream is going to help turn on what we call mitophagy, where we break down old damaged mitochondria and create new ones. And then also what we call mitochondrial biogenesis, which is the formation of new mitochondria. So very powerful from that perspective. Now, time-restricted feeding or fasting. So time-restricted feeding is kind of like what's done in a daily pattern or really like within like a 48-hour period of time. Anything anything beyond 48 hours is called extended fasting. So if you're doing like a three-day fast, that's an extended fast. If you were doing a like one meal a day or a 16-8 where you fast for 16 hours and eat within an eight-hour period. We call that time-restricted feeding. You know, there's another term as intermittent fasting. So a lot of these terms are used uh, together, but really, you know, I guess the correct term uh, if it's done in, in a 24 to 48-hour period is time-restricted feeding. And time-restricted feeding does a number of things for our gut lining and our microbiome. Number one, it takes stress off the digestive system. Again, we know the gut lining is one cell wall, right? One, just one long cell wall. So too much mechanical stress is going to cause a lot of problems. If we want to heal the leaky gut, we have to take stress off of it. Think about it like a sprained ankle. If you sprain your ankle and then you, you know, get up on it 30 minutes later and you want to walk, run and play basketball, it's not going to heal, right? It's going to be painful and it won't heal properly. Well, it's the same thing with the gut lining. If we're damaging the gut lining with every meal we eat, we need some time. We need to space out our meals so we give it some time to heal. Fortunately, the cells in the gut heal much faster than the you know joint tissue cells, right? So you can heal your gut faster in a sense, uh, or at least the gut lining, faster than you can the your your ankle joint if you sprain that. So that's that's good news. Now it, it will take time to reset the microbiome. You can't just do that with one, you know, one short time restricted feeding period. But um, you know, over time, you are going to actually improve the diversity of the gut. And I'll go over a study that that explains more about that. But you know, going into this, you know, time restricted feeding not only it takes some mechanical stress off, but it also reduces inflammation in the gut. It activates stem cells in the gut lining. You know, study uh, a rat study showed that 24 hours, a 24-hour fast regenerated the cells in the gut lining. So the stem cells, yeah, new embryonic, young, healthy, 
really vibrantly vibrant cells, right? That have more stress resilience. So we want cells that are very resilient to stress. We're all going to have stress. There's going to be periods of time of stress where, you know, we eat foods that maybe have, uh, you know, bad bacteria on them, or they're just tough to break down, or we're eating on the go. And so we're not producing enough stomach acid, uh, bile, things, things like that. So we want the intestinal cells to be as resilient as possible. In order to do that, we need to go through periods where we're activating the stem cells in the gut lining. And the improves microbiome diversity and increases healthy bacteria levels. Let's go into that a little bit more. So we know that fasting downregulates, like I mentioned, we get the ketone production, downregulates inflammation in the brain. Uh, it upregulates what we call T regulatory cells, which help the immune system function better and shuts down one of the inflammatory pathways, which is called TH17, which drives up inflammation in the body. We also have the tumor necrosis factor alpha and the nuclear factor kappa beta NFKB pathways that are down-regulated in the body. We also get an improved amount of, uh, we, get, we get better leptin sensitivity which helps us feel satiated and helps turn on uh, bur the burning of body fat and adiponectin, which are two hormones that are produced by fat cells. We used to think the fat cells were just storage cells. We know that now that they're endocrine cells, they actually, when we have too much fat, they produce cytokines, they produce inflammatory cells. They also produce leptin, which tells the body to burn fat, it tells the body we're satiated and to burn fat. M many people are leptin Resilient or leptin, they have leptin resistance where they are producing a lot of leptin, but their brain is not hearing the signal. So, high leptin creates more inflammation in the body. We want leptin to be sensitive, kind of like insulin, right? We don't want too much insulin. We want to keep that sensitive as well. So, uh, one study out of the European Journal of Neuroscience showed that the upregulation of autophagy through fasting may prevent delay or uh, reduce the development of neurodegenerative diseases of the central nervous system, like multiple sclerosis. There's a, a Ramadan study. They've done a lot of studies on Islamic people doing Ramadan because during Ramadan, they're only consuming food uh, during the night, right? So during, so they don't eat during daylight hours. And oftentimes these people are doing like 20 hour fasts or 16 hour fasts. So it's great to get a kind of a population group that are all following this and there's usually very good compliance with it and, uh, and, and then actually study them. And so they took 60 patients with irritable bowel disease and all of them experienced a reduction of symptoms uh, of ulcerative colitis, uh, Crohn's, right? Things like that. And those who had so also suffered with depression and anxiety also noticed improvement in this uh, observational study here. So basically, people noticed that their mood was improved and their inflammatory bowel disease was improved. Now, they're probably praying a lot, you know, it's like spiritual uh, fast and whatnot. But, you know, obviously, the time-restricted feeding from all the mechanisms we talked about, you know, definitely downregulating inflammation, turning on the ketone production, which downregulates inflammation in the brain. We know depression and anxiety are associated with inflammation in the brain can absolutely uh, be the thing that really impacted that. Hey guys, I just wanted to interrupt this podcast to tell you about one of my favorite food products. I mean, if you're out there and you're looking for healthy snack options or, you know, really healthy food, sometimes it can be hard to find a gut-friendly, gluten-free snack option. 
And that's why you need to know about Paleo Valley. They're 100% grass-fed beef and 100% pasture-raised turkey meat sticks are not only loaded with delicious flavor, but they are completely free of carbs and sugar. Such a great bioavailable protein snack to grab on the go. I oftentimes will eat them with meals too. Like if I eat a meal and I'm still a little bit hungry, feel like I need a little bit more protein and healthy fats, I go ahead and have them. You know, they're gluten-free, they're soy-free, they're dairy-free, GMO-free, preservative-free. I mean, what's not to love about that? On top of that, they actually also have probiotics in them as well. So you're getting the protein, healthy fats, and you're getting probiotics, lots of key minerals and nutrients in there, and they taste amazing. And now you can use my coupon code, Jockers, just my last name, J-O-C-K-E-R-S, to get 15% off your order today. Simply go to their website, paleovalley.com, and enter Jockers at checkout, and you'll receive 15% off your entire purchase. The link and discount code are also available in the show notes of today's episode. Once you try these meat sticks, you won't be able to get enough. My kids and I absolutely love them, and I know your family will too. So try them out today. We know that intermittent fasting helps your body to favor the growth of beneficial bacteria over harmful bacterial species like Salmonella, for example. One study showed that intermittent fasting can increase the gut microbiome diversity, enhance antioxidant microbial metabolic pathways and strengthen the immune system of those with multiple sclerosis. They've done other studies on people with different types of um, gut issues. And one thing that, that fasting does is it downregulates primary feeders. If we're constantly eating every three, four hours or whatever it is, we're, we're, we're feeding what's called primary feeders. Like, you know, could be things like Salmonella, uh, Proteobacter, different things like that. When we stop doing that for a period of time, okay, when we eat, reduce the amount of meals we're consuming in the day, uh, go longer periods of time without food, we downregulate those primary feeders and we increase Ackermansia mucinophilia and the different bacteria that really live in the gut mucosal membrane, okay? In fact, there is a study out of the Scandinavian Journal of Immunology. It showed that intermittent fasting promoted bacterial clearance and increased the intestinal uh, serum IgA production. That's the immune component of the gut. Another study out of the Turkish Journal of Gastroenterology, this is a 2019 study, showed, and it was on Ramadan fasting, showed that it increased the abundance of acromansia mucinophilia. Mucinophilia means mucus loving. So it, lo it lives in the mucosal membrane of the gut lining and eats that. And that stimulates the goblet cells of the gut to produce more mucus. So it creates a more resilient gut lining. So you can see if you're looking at this slide here on the left, the mucos, the mucus is thin, right? And there's more inflammation in the gut. Now, on the right there, you can see that there's a, lot, a thicker amount of mucus. So Ackermansia mucinophilia eats mucus. It lives on the mucos, mucosal membrane, eats the mucus, but at the same time, it stimulates the production, the goblet cell production of, uh, of more mucus, right? So it creates more mucus, and that favors the development of other bacteria that produce short-chain fatty acids. We need a really resilient bacterial lining, okay? Now, short-chain fatty acids reduce inflammation. That's things like butyrate, reduce inflammation in the body. Now, 
other good bacteria that um, are upregulated during intermittent fasting are fecal bacterium pernansi and bacterioides fragilis. These are three bacteria that are considered by many microbiome researchers a signature of metabolic health. Reduced levels of those three bacteria, acromansia mucinophilia, fecal bacterium prusnitsi, and bacterioides fragilis. So if you have reduced amounts, that's linked to increased inflammation, type 2 diabetes. Those bacteria survive by eating that intestinal mucosa, and the human body adapts by creating a stronger, more resilient intestinal lining. So very, very important. We want to create that resiliency in the gut lining. This is very cool how this works. We get more diversity greater diversity of bacteria by eating less often throughout the day. So let's talk about how to do intermittent fasting. So best way to start is what we call a simple fast, which is an overnight fast between the time you, uh, you know, basically like say you finish dinner at 7 p.m., you don't eat anything with calories until 7 a.m. the next morning. It's very simple to do. When you wake up in the morning, I recommend drinking a lot of water. So you can start by drinking 16 ounces of water before you can even think about consuming food. If you want to do warm water, that's great. You can do warm water with, you know, herbal tea or even a little lemon in there. That, that's not going to break your fast. It's fine. Um, and that can actually help. The hydration there will help reduce your hunger. So if you're hungry when you wake up in the morning, it's because you have a hormone called ghrelin that is released from your stomach. And ghrelin is released when there are mechanical changes such, such as nothing in your stomach or a condition response. If you're used to eating a big breakfast every morning, then you're going to release more ghrelin at that time of day. You're going to release more ghrelin at times of day where you're normally eating food. That's a normal response, condition response. So to suppress ghrelin, you drink water. That mechanically uh, expands the stomach and will reduce the amount of ghrelin that's released. And you won't, won't have the same hunger that you're feeling. And that should normally allow you to push your fast out to 14 hours. I find that most people can do a 14 hour fast on a regular basis pretty easily, uh, particularly if they eat their dinner at a good time. If you're consistently eating dinner at 10, 11 o'clock or eating a late night snack, um, then it's going to be a lot harder to do, you know, 12 to 14 hour fast. However, um, you know, if you finish your dinner by 7 p.m. or so, at least like, let's say three hours before you go to bed, then uh, it becomes much easier, right? So you're sleeping for much of that fast, you wake up, you hydrate, and before you know it, you're at, you know, 12 to 14 hours. So that's really easy. Now, for some individuals, particularly very lean menstruating females who have a very stressful life, going right into a longer fast can be really hard. So I'll do something like crescendo fasting where we'll do a 16 hour fast. That would be like finishing dinner at 7 p.m. but then not eating again till 11 a.m. the next day. So we'll do crescendo fasting where we might do that but not every day but instead twice a week on non-consecutive days like a Monday, Thursday or a Tuesday, Friday or something like that. That way you have time to recover in between and because fasting itself, if you're not used to it, is a stressor on the body. So we've got to prime the body so it's ready for that stressor. Crescendo fasting can help with that. It's kind of like exercise. We don't want to run, you know, we don't want to train super hard for an hour long every single day. We want rest in between, especially if you're, you're sedentary. If you're, you know, already metabolically fragile, maybe you're older, maybe you've got a lot of pain in your body, or you just have a stressful life. If you do very intense exercise every single day, you will burn out, you will overtrain, and you'll get less productive results. You need rest periods. Well, it's kind of the same thing with fasting. Until you're metabolically healthy, 
doing a tremendous amount of fasting might not be great, especially again, if you are low in body fat to begin with, have a very stressful life. Maybe you don't sleep great. Uh, maybe you do a lot of exercise. Okay. And maybe you are a female who menstruates. Those would make it more challenging to do this on a regular basis. So doing it like non-consecutive days, like two days a week is great. If you feel good doing those 16 hour fasts, those two days a week, then try doing it every other day where you skip a day in between like a Monday, Wednesday, Friday, or something like that. If you're still feeling good there, then you do it daily. Okay. I find that most men, it's pretty easy to get them doing a strong fast on a daily basis. Men's hormonal systems are different than women. Um, a lot of women can do great, you know, doing strong fast or warrior fast or a one day fast, but not everybody, especially very, again, very lean, active women. Sometimes it can be a little harder. So, um, so that would be the next step as you, you know, just kind of graduating from step to step, you go to the strong fast 16, to 18 hours daily. Uh, you know, this is usually the window that I'm in on most days. Uh, and then you can do a warrior fast if you want, where you're eating in a four, like a four hour eating window. So that would be something like doing your meals between 2 p.m. and 6 p.m., something along those lines. Okay. They call it the warrior fast because back in the time, for example, of like the Spartans, you know, if you've watched the movie 300, uh, you know, the Spartans would eat their meals, they would feast at night. So they would work all day. And then they would feast in the evening and sometimes their meals, you know, they would just keep eating for a few hours at night. Okay. In the evening, like let's say six o'clock to, you know, nine o'clock or something. And they would just be feasting during that period of time. So it's like they were eating one big meal, but they would take, you know, kind of breaks in between during that, that, that window and they would get all their calories in. So you can do two meals there in like a four hour eating window. It's a warrior fast. And then a one day fast where you're just eating one meal a day, roughly doing somewhere around like a 22 to 24 hour fast, right? Where you're eating roughly around the same time every single day. And we also call that one meal a day or OMAD, okay? So these are the, the, the progression steps. I find that a one day fast is great, like an OMAD fast to do on a regular basis for people that are very overweight. They have a lot of weight to lose. As they condition their body into fasting, doing going on a one meal a day can be amazing for losing weight quickly, all right? Um, however, again, I wouldn't recommend doing it, going right into it immediately. All right. And it depends on how active you are. You know, there's a number of different things that go into that, but you kind of gradually go through this process. Now, again, like I said, simple fast, best way to start, you know, 7 p.m. You don't eat again until 7 a.m. in the morning. You drink water, hydration in the morning. This is the, the, the way you start with intermittent fasting. And fasting is really a lifestyle, something that we should all be doing every day. This is the minimum, okay, is 12 hours. So for some reason, you do eat a late night snack, like 9 or 10 o'clock. You should wait until 9 or 10 o'clock the next day to eat again at least, right? All of us should be doing 12-hour fast. Gives our liver time to reprocess and detoxify. We will massively overburden our liver if we're not doing a simple fast every single day, 12 hours overnight. Now, again, as I mentioned with women, you know, we, we kind of want, especially men, young menstruating women, I want to really emphasize that point. There are going to be some people that listen to this that say, well, I'm a younger menstruating woman and I do great doing a 18 hour fast every day. That is great. But I will tell you, there are a lot of women that don't do well with that. They need to gradually progress. So again, simple fast, brunch fast, crescendo fast, cycle fast, right? And then try to consider 
what time of the cycle that you're in. <clears throat> For example, if you are the week before you menstruate, you need to produce a lot of hormone. Okay, during that period of time, I recommend doing more feasting. And then after you menstruate, like right as soon as you start menstruating, it's a better time to actually fast. That's a better time to fast. Okay, right before you ovulate. Okay, that is actually a good time to feast and eat more, more carbohydrate, eat more food in general. Right after you ovulate, a good time to fast. All right. So there are periods for women where, you know, and oftentimes you'll notice based on your cravings, where you may need to eat more, okay? And, and, and in particular, you may need to eat more carbohydrate and there are other times where you may need to eat less. So where we're fasting would be uh, just a better strategy for reducing inflammation in your body. So it's kind of that feast famine cycle that is super important. So let's, let's look at this again, strong fast. Again, we talked about that 16 to 18 hour fast. So you know, like an eating window between 12 p.m. and 6 p.m., for example, and then fasting between 6 p.m. to 12 p.m. the following day, all right? So a strong fast is great. That's really great. If you're able to do a 16 to 18-hour fast on a daily basis, you are very metabolically fit. That is very, very healthy, great strategy to be doing on a regular basis. During that period of time, you're going to get, you're going to get into what we call mild ketosis. Your ketones are going to get up, usually around 0.5 or so, if you extend that fast out a little bit longer, 18, 20, 24 hours, right, you're going to get a little bit more ketone production. So what I personally like to do is I will do what's called a 5-2 fasting where I do five days a week where I'm doing a strong fast and then two days a week where I'm doing one meal a day. So usually on Wednesdays and on Saturdays, I just do one meal and then on the other days, I'm doing two meals in roughly a six to eight hour eating window. Now, the days I do my one meal a day, I don't work out. I don't exercise intensely. I move, I walk or something like that. I just don't lift weights on those days. And the days that I lift weights, I do two meals. That's kind of works best for me as far as a strategy to keep my muscle mass and, and to keep my body weight and to help me thrive. I The reason why I like to do the one meal a day is because my brain feels amazing. I get the ketones elevated. I get more autophagy in the brain, reduces inflammation. I feel great. Now, a three-day fast or an, what we call an extended fast, three-day fast, maybe a five-day or in some cases more, is a phenomenal way to allow your body to fully rest, repair, and renew. After roughly 24 hours fasting, your body stops producing all the digestive juices. And it uses that energy, so it diverts that energy into healing and repair. So you get a deeper level of healing and repair that takes place when you do some sort of an extended fast. We also know that when you do this, this is a study right here out of Cell by Walter Longo, okay? It says when fasting gets tough, the tough immune cells get going or they die. So when we calorie restrict for multiple days, like he did in this study where it was what, what's called a fasting mimicking diet, where roughly the individuals consumed 40% of their cal caloric needs for five days. The immune cells, the damaged immune cells, the old, uh, what I remember the, the term I used earlier, the senescent or older aged immune cells actually break down and the body creates new embryonic stem cells in the immune system. These stem cells are more resilient. They're more 
uh, specific for targeting pathogens and they don't cause as much collateral damage to our self tissue, right? This is a way to help reduce and, and get rid of antibody production to organ systems of our body. So we think about autoimmunity. So extended fasting can be really powerful for this or doing what's called a fasting mimicking diet. Now, common question I get is how long and how often should you fast for best results? Well, if you're thin or lean, okay, and your goal is to reduce inflammation or reduce chronic disease, I would recommend doing three to maybe up to five days and not doing it any more than every eight to 12 weeks. You don't want to do this too often or you are going to cause more collateral damage to your hormonal systems in your body. If you're normal weight, okay, and you want to reduce inflammation and reduce chronic disease, you can do four, maybe up to seven days and do it every six to eight weeks. If you're overweight and your goal is not just inflammation and disease, but you also want to lose weight, you can do five to 10 plus days, depending on how overweight you are and what else is going on in your schedule. You can roughly do that every month. There are some people that do great. They do a five-day fast every month, and it helps them really lose weight quickly. Um, and if you're not battling a chronic disease, you're not. your goal is not to aggressively reduce inflammation and rebuild your body, then doing a longer fast, a three- to five-day fast, one or two times per year is really all that you need um, you know, on a kind of a regular basis to get great results, right? And to regenerate and rebuild your body. So that's really the best advice for that. And if you don't want to just do a water fast, that's fine too. You can do what's called a partial fast. And there's many of them, many different kinds that you can do. You can do a bone broth fast. You can do green juice fasting. You can do what's called a fasting mimicking diet, or you can do a fat or keto fast or the Daniel fast, right? So all of these are calorie restricted fasts, um, you know, that in generally, you're going to get the best results on a calorie restricted fast when you fast with 40% or less of your normal caloric load, which for most people, they need somewhere between two to 3000 calories a day. Okay. Um, so consuming, you know, 800 to a thousand calories, depending on you and your body size and your activity level um, is going to get you the best results doing a partial fast. And they usually are are best for three to five, maybe seven days, right? Doing this. The only fast that does not necessarily restrict calories is the Daniel fast. That's where you just take out all animal products. You take out bread, right? So you take out sugar, bread, sweeteners, um, and, um, and animal products. That's not necessarily a calorie restricted fast. You could obviously, you know, eat avocados and olives all day and nuts until you, um, you know, get your calories. But it, you know, in general, most people are following a Daniel fast will end up reducing their calories to some degree. Um, and the other fasts are all great for reducing calories. And, you know, ideally the best way to do the partial fast is to kind of keep your calories down, right? Roughly 500 or 800 calories or so, and you're going to get the best results. So there's many different strategies to do that. And then finally, I want to talk about feast, famine, cycling. So we can't just be fasting. When we eat, we need to eat well, okay? So during a partial fast, we're under eating intentionally for a period of time. But in general, when we are eating and we're not, you know, in the fasting window, we want to eat well. When I eat a meal, I eat a lot of food. My body needs roughly 3,500 calories a day or I lose weight. So when I eat a meal, now I eat two meals a day most days one meal a day and other days, 
my, when I'm doing two meals a day, I'm usually eating roughly 2000 calories in a meal, right? 2000 calories, one meal a day. I'm doing, you know, 2000, maybe sometimes 2,500 calories that on that one meal. Okay. So when I eat, I eat a lot. And that's the key is we eat less often, but when we do eat, we eat a lot. Now, depending on your digestive system, maybe you don't have a gallbladder, maybe just big meals make you feel queasy. Then you may need to eat like three small meals in an eight hour eating window. So you got to get to figure it out, but you got to get your calories. You got to eat your food. Obviously we want to focus on nutrient dense foods that help reduce inflammation in the body. I always have three big changes, keeping sugar and grains out, uh, or at least reducing them. Um, getting it processed vegetable oils out, things like sunflower, safflower, cottonseed oil, peanut oil, canola oil, soybean oil, corn oil, get rid of that. Instead, let's focus on coconut oil, avocados, avocado oil, olive oil, um, grass-fed meats, right? So that's, that's huge. And then, you know, making sure we stay away as much as possible from grain-fed animal products and really focus on organic grass-fed animal products, grass, you know, eggs, grass-fed butter, grass-fed beef, things like that. So consuming a lot of that and trying to get a lot of vegetables in your diet, if you feel good with vegetables, otherwise, you know, if you feel good on more of a carnivore approach, that's great if, if, if you feel good with that. So, but getting a lot of calories in when you are eating is important. Um, unless you have a lot of weight to lose, uh, you do, you want to make sure you're really, really feasting uh, when you do eat. Now, if you notice that you are bloated afterwards, if you notice that you're burping, if you are um, feeling nauseous, uh, just exhausted after you eat, you either ate too much or you've got other issues in your gut that, you know, need to be cleared out, gut infections, things like that. So good, good to look at, but you may have eaten too much. We don't want that. We, you know, in general, after we eat, we should feel pretty good. Um, and so, but we do want to make sure at the same time we're eating a lot of food and that helps us improve our metabolic flexibility and our energy efficiency helps turn on the hormones that we need, turns on, activates thyroid hormone, turns on autophagy, you know, when we're fasting. And so we get the best benefits of feast, famine, cycling that way. So that is the approach that you want. And if you want more information about this, you want all the science, I would definitely recommend checking out my book, The Fasting Transformation. I show you how fasting helps improve your blood sugar, your insulin sensitivity, optimizes your hormone expression, your fat burning lean body, lean muscle tissue, helps turn on stem cells and cellular healing. I have a fasting questionnaire that helps you kind of graduate in your fasting approach, go through everything when it comes to fasting. So check that book out. I also have a great podcast uh, that I would hope that you'd subscribe to. It's called, it's the Dr. Jocker's Functional Nutrition Podcast. If you are subscribed to it, please leave me a review as well. I would love that check out my website, drjockers.com too. Hopefully you guys enjoyed this training and look forward to seeing you more often and uh, engaging in more of these trainings with you. Be blessed, everybody. Well, that's all for this show. And I want to thank you again for spending your valuable time with me today. And if there was something you heard in this interview that you have questions on or you want to dive into deeper, then drjockers.com is the best place to go. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider taking just a quick moment and giving us a great review. Your reviews help us influence more people and transform more lives. And if you took something valuable away from this episode, 
then please share it with someone in your life you know it can help. We'll see you soon on a future podcast. Be blessed, everybody.